Welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Nicastro. Today, we are going to be taking a look into Bureau Veritas's take charge approach to the future of work. I feel like every uh, second or third headline you read in the news today is talking about what the future of work is going to look like. Um, and it's a, a conversation that is top of mind for many of our listeners. Um, I'm excited to welcome to the podcast today, Maggie Loriano, who's the Vice President of Human Resources for North America at Bureau Veritas. Maggie, welcome to the Future of Field Service podcast. Thank you so much, Sarah, and I am really delighted to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, thanks for being here. Okay, so before we dig into the topic at hand, um, tell our listeners a bit about yourself, your background, and your role at Bureau Veritas. Uh, great, I'm happy to do that. So, um, Sarah, I'm going to go back a little bit in time. And so um, I'm uh, while I'm a resident of Florida now and have been for a number of years, I'm originally from New York, New York City, um, and went to college at Fordham University, where I fully expected that I was going to um, beyond my undergraduate in psychology. I fully expected that I was going to continue and uh, into a master's and potentially a PhD and be a psychologist or at the very least a therapist. And um, after I got my undergrad in, in psych, I decided to take a year off um, and get some experience under my belt um, and then go, go back to school. Well, P.S., I won't tell you how many years <laughs> later, but um, I did not go back to school. And my first job out of college was at, as a nature assistant. Um, at a bank. And, and, you know, as you know, New York City is uh, ripe with all kinds of financial service organizations. So that's kind of where my, um, my uh, career started. Um, unlike most people uh, coming out of college, where typically you spend just a few years in your first job, I actually spent about eight years um, at that first organization. And the reason I did so was because I was given an incredible amount of opportunities to learn and grow within HR and and, um, and and do different things. And so within that eight-year span, um, you know, I started as an HR assistant. I moved into benefits administration. I worked in payroll. I did recruiting. I did employee relations. I uh, did training facilitation. And so really, I got a really, really good foundation. Mm -hmm. um, and I think part of that, Sarah, was I was very inquisitive. And so, you know, I would ask a lot of questions. I wanted to know about, you know, what, what that area did, what the other area did. And so I think my, my manager at the time was really impressed with my, that intellectual curiosity. And I was given lots of opportunities. But, um, you know, after that, I evolved into or I moved into other um, roles in HR at other financial institutions, also in New York. Um, and then I, I transferred to, to Florida. Um, throughout my career um, in financial services in particular, um, I was really a generalist most of the time, mm -hmm. uh, but I did have stints where I was um, in a recruiting function or in an employee relations function. And I managed those two functions as well in, in different companies. Um, and then in 2006, I transitioned to uh, logistics. I, I worked with DHL for a couple of years. And then after that, I moved into um, uh, aviation with Embraer. And I was with that company for 11 years. And then in 2018, I came to Bureau Veritas. 
And, uh, you know, the one thing about human resources that I have found is that it's a, a very transferable skill. Mm-hmm. And you can learn the industry, you can learn, you know, your, your internal customers and, and the business that you support, because really the, the skills that go into HR are, you know, you can apply in, in any industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, the other thing that uh, I love about uh, being at Bureau Veritas is the ability to really help transform the HR function, which, um, you know, I'm happy to go into um, a little bit, a little mm-hmm. bit later. Mm-hmm. Cool. But that's a little bit about me and my and my uh, career. I love it. Okay, and and real quick before we go on, for listeners that that maybe aren't familiar with Bureau Veritas, can you talk a little bit about the organization? You guys have a very cool video that I've come across, and I'm going to see if I can find the link to it to put into the show notes because it talks about how um, how many interactions with Bureau Veritas happen in a, in a day, but people don't, maybe don't recognize the, the brand by name. So can you give folks, uh, a sense of what the company does? Absolutely. And, and you make a great point and I'm happy to just talk about that video a little bit more because I love it. So Bureau Veritas is about a 200 year old company that started in Europe. It is actually headquartered out of Paris and it started in the, in the marine industry. And over the years, it has expanded to much more. And we are a leader in testing, inspection and certification services. And so when you talk about that video, Sarah, that's one of the things that I loved when I was going through the interview process um, with, with Bureau Veritas, um, watching that video, and it was so eye-opening because it takes um, a gentleman through the entire day, right, from the time he wakes up to, you know, taking his daughter to school, driving to work, picking up his coffee, going into his office, and on and on until he returns home in the evening. And you have these pop-ups throughout the video that show all the different touch points. And so, you know, Bureau Veritas inspects um, food. It inspects uh, toys. Um, you know, so think Happy Meal in, in a you know, McDonald's Happy Meal for your kid. Um, as a matter of fact, I use extra virgin olive oil. And uh, when I was interviewing for, for BV, I saw that it was inspected by, uh, by Bureau Veritas, right? So um, but we also do a lot in the infrastructure space. So, for example, mm-hmm. here in North America, we do, um, you know, we have contracts with um, municipalities, with the city, different cities uh, where we inspect, um, you know, or we certify that, that their building codes are um, up to par, where we certify and inspect bridges. We do elevator inspections. We're into the energy sector now. And of course, oil and gas is a big mm-hmm. part of our business. But um, yeah, it's really, we are the company that, especially in North America, we're not very well known, mm-hmm. but a company that really touches all of our lives without even us realizing it. And we're built on safety. Um, and that is one of our absolute safety um, and ethics, um, which are critically important because we provide that, you know, services to our customers that they must rely on our expertise, um, you know, that, that we provide and safety and, um, you know, ethics are, are clearly very, very important in what we do. Mm-hmm. Now to give people a context for the size of the organization, um, how many, uh, employees do you have, um, either globally or specific to North America? Yeah. So I'll give you both Sarah. So about 75,000 globally, um, and in North America, we have about 6,300, and that mm-hmm. is primarily in Canada and the U.S., but we also have operations in Mexico and in the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you might not know the Bureau Veritas name, but you have uh, undoubtedly interacted with um, something the company has inspected or uh, you know, something along the way. So I'll see if I can find that video and put it in the show notes. Yeah. Okay. I think, I think your listeners will very much enjoy it. It's yeah. really very, very opening. It is. It is. Okay. So in researching for this episode, um, Maggie, what stood out to me is that you get stuff done. Um, I think that's likely the New Yorker in you. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, the other thing that, uh, that, I want it. So what I wanted to kind of talk about is you get things done, right? But sometimes taking real action isn't about what's fast or what's easy to tackle, but digging deep and understanding, you know, how to make the biggest impact. So, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about um, when you joined BV and you realize sort of the the talent shortage and and some of the things that that are facing not only your company but the industry at large. Uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some of the steps that you all have taken to um, you know to address that challenge. But before we get into sort of the the tactical conversation, I'd like to just talk for a moment about this balance of, of depth and speed and, you know, why taking shortcuts, um, you know, often doesn't pay off. Yeah, sure. And it was a really interesting, um, experience for me, Sarah, because, um, you know, having come into this role with like a million years of experience, I, I don't even want to, <laughs> I don't <even> want to <laughs> think about how long it's been, but I've been in HR for a long time. And, um, you know, I, I have seen what works and what doesn't work. And so, you know, I came in with my own, you know, preconceived notions of how I would have wanted to set up the HR organization and the types of things that we could do to uh, impact the employee experience and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, one of the most important things I think for any HR professional is to really get to understand your company and your internal customers and their business and, you know, kind of how do they make money and what's important to them and that sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And so in doing that, <clears throat> what I realized was that I couldn't just jump in and make the changes that I thought would be impactful and important. Um, I really had to step back and listen to my customers because they were in different places. One of the things about BV that is kind of neat, it's a very entrepreneurial organization. Um, and so, you know, it's not the kind of place where you can, where one size fits all mm-hmm. and where you can dictate, okay, this is what we're going to do and every business is going to do it. And so for me, that digging deep and, and spending time you know, meeting with my internal customers, getting to understand their business, getting to understand their needs helped me or helped to inform how I was going to make changes. Mm -hmm. Because whereas at other organizations where I've worked, I had, um, you know, the ability to make a kind of a blanket change for all. Um, At Vera Veritas, it just did not work that way. And had I done that, I would have failed miserably. Mm-hmm. And so I think my my lesson there was you need to listen, you need to understand, and even though you may come to the table with expertise and experience that um you know that you can offer, 
but it needs to fit, I guess mm-hmm. is the best, the best way I can say it. It needs to fit. And even to, so I've been at Bureau Veritas now for almost three years. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the things that we do, what I'd like to do is provide a framework for my internal customers, um, that kind of an umbrella approach, right? So these are the minimum things that we will do, but certainly each business leader has the ability to customize it further to fit their needs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that's really good advice, you know, not specifically to anything to do with HR, but just for leaders in general that are seeking to make change within a business, right? And and what I liked about how you described it, and, and this is where you can tell that you... Um, you took that time and you you did that digging with the right intention because you said you used what you learned to inform your strategy and your plan, not to pacify uh, people for, for whom you were going to change something, right? And so I think when you start to talk about you know leading through change and the need to understand internal stakeholders i think one of the mistakes that gets made is um really related to intent so some people kind of take certain actions um listening you know getting feedback talking to check a box rather than to actually consume that perspective and let it, like you said, influence what the the plan is going to be. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes absolute sense. And uh, if I had taken that approach of, you know, listening just to check the box, like mm-hmm. I said, it would not have been successful. And, um, you know, as I said, the, the business, we're a very entrepreneurial organization and it just would never have, um, have passed muster, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of themes um, that I want to talk about before we, you know, get into the specifics of the talent shortage and and what you have um, have done about that. You know, the first is kind of what I just mentioned, which is this authenticity, right? And so, you know, in some of the articles that you've been a part of that that I read prior to our interview, you know, you talk about the importance of communication. Um, which everyone talks about, um, but there's this level of emphasis on honesty and authenticity that you have. And I'm hoping you can just speak for a moment about, you know, um, how that helps you build trust, how that helps you, um, you know, make connections with your workforce that have a big impact when it comes to, you know, engagement and retention, which is, is part of the equation of this talent shortage, right? Absolutely. And, and, you know, Sarah, to me, communication in the workplace and with our employees is no different than communication in a personal relationship, right? It needs to be, you know, honest. It needs to be genuine. It needs to be transparent, um, it needs to be two way. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I bring that same kind of, um, of philosophy to the workplace mm-hmm. and I, my brand, if you will, my personal brand is, is important to me. And I don't ever want that to be tarnished by, you know, someone thinking that I've, I've lied or I've led them, you know, uh, astray in any way, or that I'm hiding information. Now, 
you know, to be clear, there are things organizationally that you just cannot disclose to employees, confidential information or what have you. But short of that, I think open and honest communication is, is, um, is critical. And in, as an example, and, and I'll come to Bureau Veritas in just a minute, but in my prior organization, I used to host town halls on a probably on a quarterly basis. And, you know, it was my CEO and myself that would kind of partner to do the the town halls. And over time, I mean, I was there for 10 years. And over time, the respect and the trust that I had from employees and the things that they would come to me with, absolutely astounding. And it was because they knew that I was going to tell it like it is, right? Mm-hmm. They knew that I, I wasn't sugarcoating the message. I was going to be very direct. Um, and honest with them. And I've brought that same, that same approach to, to Bureau Veritas. And, you know, the pandemic, the 2020 was a perfect example and not just myself, but also our CEO, Natalia, and some of our other leaders, you know, we hosted town halls, um, you know, with pretty difficult messages to the employees. Mm -hmm. And we were always very honest about the message. Um, you know, there was hope in the message, despite mm-hmm. some some negativity that that might have been included. But there was hope, and then there was always follow up, right? Mm-hmm. And making sure that you know, if if we were taking an action, we would then follow up and talk about you know how it was going, and if we were going to change directions. And the other piece is getting feedback from the employees is really important. You know, how are they feeling? What are they thinking? What's important to them? So um, again, Sarah, I go back to it's no different than a personal relationship. Mm-hmm. If it's going to work, it's got to be authentic, honest, transparent, and really, you know, um, it's got to come from a good place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's an important point. And and the other point, um, you know, before we talk a bit about how to bring in new talent um, is... Uh, the other point that that I wanted to talk to you a little bit about is um, the importance of empowerment, right? And so you mentioned the culture at BB is very entrepreneurial. entrepreneurial. Um, and so, you know, in that type of environment, the the role of empowerment is important and probably in, in some way is expected. But I think that empowerment is something that is underutilized in um, a lot of businesses as it relates to looking at ways to um, foster greater employee engagement and satisfaction, right? You know, we, we bring these people in because they're talented and then we don't want to trust or empower them to do what we've brought them in to do, right? Um, so can you talk a little bit about the importance of empowerment? Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and it reminds me of many, many years ago, I remember being in a, um, um, a training class and it was all about empowering employees and so forth. And I remember the facilitator said, you know, you don't want to have empowerment with a leash, right? And so mm-hmm. pretend empowerment, essentially, yeah, 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 you can do that. But then if you make a mistake, boom, you're pulled back and you're, um, you know, you're, you're penalized in some way. So, you know, one of the, um, the philosophies of our CEO is fail fast um, and you don't have to have all the information you need in order to make a decision. And so, you know, in her mind, 
75, 80% of the information needed to take a decision is fine. Mm -hmm. And then if that doesn't work, okay, that's great. We can course correct and, and, you know, come back and, um, and make it better. And, and I think that's a really important message for all of our employees because, you know, it's, if, if you've got the skills, you've got the experience and the know-how, you know, as a new employee, obviously you've got to learn the ropes, you've got to learn the company, the way we do things and things like that. But we hired you for a reason. Right. And so it's important to be able to give employees the opportunity to show what they have, what they've done, what they can do. And, um, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. And I think that's what I really love about BV, that, you know, making a mistake is not catastrophic. Mm -hmm. Making a mistake is a way to learn. It's a way to improve. Um, and, and, um, you know, it's, it's like a a child, right? Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't, um, put your arms around a child and not allow them to explore their surroundings because they just won't know what to do when you, you release them. Right. So it's similar to employees, right? You've got to let them go. You've got to let them do. And I think an empowered workforce is a much more productive workforce and a more uh, satisfied workforce overall. And we certainly encourage that here. Yeah. No, I think it's it's very very important um for for companies to start digging into um the you know, I'm going to call it the retention side of this equation, but it's not just retention. It's also engagement and satisfaction and it's you know, if if this talent shortage is is real and it is, um then part of it is where does the new talent come from? But but a big part of it also needs to be how do you treat the talent you have and are you maximizing their potential, um, you know, which is where I think the idea of empowerment really comes into play. Mm-hmm. And Sarah, we do a lot of, um, you know, we're very focused on our, our talent, um, on their development, um, on giving them opportunities to, to grow, to develop within the company. I mean, it's one thing, yes, of course, we can hire externally, and and we do, of course. Um, But yes, with the talent shortage, um, it's become even more critical for for companies and for us to look internally and see, you know, we've we've got, I mean, in in North America, we've got about 6,300 employees, Mm -hmm. you know, let's, let's develop them, let's understand what their, um, what, what their desires are in terms of their career and what we can do and work together to help them get there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we may have a diamond in the rough buried somewhere in our organization that we need to uncover and we need to help grow and nurture and support them in their development. And so that's one of the things that, that we've been doing now for several years is a very deep dive into our talent, looking at um, who we've got assessing them, working on individual development plans, um, you know, so, so growing our own, if you will, it has kind mm-hmm. of been one of our missions in the last, um, in the last couple of years. Okay, good. All right. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about, um, okay, so you joined Bureau Veritas, you started taking uh, a look and digging into, okay, you know, what's the, the state of things, what needs addressed, uh, what are the challenges, what are the opportunities, um, and your recognition of the talent shortage was one of, one of the big, um, big things that, that came out of that work. So 
Let's talk about some of the actions you've taken um, to to help address that challenge. Yeah, so um, early on, um, you know, when when we saw the market start uh, getting really, really competitive, um, and and even before that, we've got pockets in our organization where historically it's been very difficult to find talent. And so we started exploring, um, could we create internships? Could we create apprenticeships? Because some of our positions require certain certifications and you need to be um, overseen by an experienced you know, professional in that particular area. Mm-hmm. And so we started to explore how can we, again, grow our own, right? So hire more entry-level junior people and help them um, grow and get certified and, and get you know, the experience that they need. Um, so, so we worked on that. We partnered with a number of different schools um, to do that. We also started tapping into very niche kind of publications um, and organizations for some of these uh, positions. And, you know, we, we became active with them. Um, we start, well, let, let me, before I go into, I was going to talk about a management um, training program that we started, but even before that, right. So we started to take steps to see how we could, um, you know, build up our talent pool. Mm-hmm. Um, but it became very clear that um, we needed really much more attention in that area. And so, to that end, I hired an experienced um, talent acquisition leader, and mm-hmm. he joined us in in January of this year. And Sarah, the transformation has been absolutely incredible, and it's mm-hmm. come in a number of different ways. So his his philosophy is he's got a very unique way in which uh, methodology in which his he and his team recruit. Um, there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of data and analytics attached to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at any given moment, you could see where the different candidates are in the, in, in the process. Are they all residing with the recruiters being sourced or have they moved on to the hiring manager or are they in final interview stage or in offer stage? And on a daily basis, you could see that graph moving. Um, we have introduced artificial intelligence in order to do a lot of the sourcing for us and also to provide us with market intelligence, um, for different geographies and for different positions. And that has really been a game changer with our leaders because now the recruiters have been able, have become more consultative with them. And so mm-hmm. if we are hiring for someone at, you know, I'm just going to make this up at $18 an hour. And the market is telling us with the data that we have that it's, you know, market rate is $22 an hour. And therefore we're not really able to attract talent. Mm -hmm. We need to, we need to pivot. We need to do something different. And that is exactly what has happened with us. um, You know, internally, our recruiters have become much more consultative because of Mm -hmm. the analytics that they have. Mm -hmm. And they, and we have been able to make some, uh, decisions internally about increasing starting salaries, increasing the salaries of our incumbents to become more competitive in the market. Mm-hmm. So that that's been another way in which you know we've addressed this talent shortage is by looking at um, or bringing in some additional talent on the talent acquisition team mm-hmm. um, that has really shift shifted the paradigm with regards to how even our leaders are looking at. 
um, the talent acquisition process. Now we are much more, um, you know, partners mm-hmm. um, and everybody has skin in the game, the hiring mm-hmm. managers, the recruiters, everyone. And so we're, we're in it together. Um, but we've, you know, as I said, we've created uh, manage, a management training program. Uh, we're partnering with uh, the military to, to recruit, um, you know, from their databases um, we're focusing a lot more on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and we've got some KPIs associated with that. Um, and we're also creating our own kind of a ready talent pool for different types of positions in different geographies. So kind of hiring folks into this pool that we will tap into when the need arises. So a lot that we've done, and um, I, I've rambled on for way too long on it, but I think it's really it's really um, helped us to turn the corner. And, and I don't know that we're necessarily ahead of the curve, um, but we're certainly not completely behind it. And mm-hmm. a, lot of the, a lot of the things that we've put into place are not necessarily going to bear fruit today or tomorrow, but they're setting, up, setting us up for success in the future. Yeah. Well, and I think this challenge is one where you have to take a long game approach. And I think that's part of the lesson folks are learning is, you know, in instances where, you know, you maybe used to be able to have success hiring based off of, you know, we want X years of experience doing this work, right? You know, if those folks aren't available, then to your point, how do you get creative when it comes to growing your own experienced workforce, right? So how can you look for certain skills, aptitude, aptitudes, characteristics, you know, et cetera, that you can bring in and provide with the, the training and experience that will get them to the level that maybe you were able to hire at before, right? And I think um, a lot of organizations are just struggling with coming to grips with the amount of work that they have to do to grow talent that, you know, they, they maybe used to be able to get in easier ways. Um, so I think the, the grow your own philosophy is a very important one to embrace and, and take action on. And the sooner that you do that, the better your, you know, long-term results are are going to be. And I think that, you know, you'll probably see that you are ahead of the curve when it comes to, you know, making those investments and, and how they pay off. Um, but I also think the points you made about investing in talent acquisition resources and skills is important, as well as the technology piece, right? Because if you can leverage that technology to get, actionable data, both on where are we succeeding and why, and where are we struggling and why, you know, that allows you the business intelligence to either replicate success or avoid those challenges and, and have, you know, better overall results. Um, so I think those are, are all, uh, really good points. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk with you about is, um, the program that BV has created, uh, the Bureau Veritas STEM Scholars Program. So let's talk a little bit about what that program is, what its intention is, um, and you know what that what role that plays in all of this. Yeah, well, thanks for bringing that up. That's a, we're really excited about that that program. So we started that with um, an organization in New York City. 
um, where a group of, of students were selected to go through um, a program to learn more about BV, what we do. Um, so a lot of our leaders were involved in getting in front of those students and sharing, um, you know, all about our business. But then they were also given a project to work on. And it was incredible, the level of um, the level of engagement, of excitement, and really the outcome of those uh, of the projects, right? Um, but so so we are we're we're excited about that. We are going to be expanding it into our other markets, uh, probably in Houston because that's where we have a, a large presence as well. Um, and so we're working toward that. But Sarah, I mean, STEM overall, you know, it, it, as you know, not enough. Um, kids are going into that, you know, those fields, right, mm -hmm. um, in college. And our company, Bureau Veritas, is essentially at, at its core an engineering company. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's important. Yes, it's, it's selfish, right, that for, for us specifically, but I think overall for our country, if I might, you know, if I might be so bold as to say that, we really need more more students going into these fields and mm -hmm. helping. You know, we talked about recruiting and being in for the, the you know, looking at the long term. Mm -hmm. Same thing with this. I mean, we need to be a part of, BV needs to be a part of encouraging students going into STEM careers and helping them in any way that we can. We've given these kids scholarships and we will do that with the next group, um, you know, when we, when we expand this to Houston. So, you know, it's important that we lead the way um, in, in encouraging students to, to look at these careers um, and, and supporting them. And so mm -hmm. I think our leaders having been so involved in the program and really demonstrating to them what, okay, so academically, this is what you learn. But practically, this is how, you know, it can be used in the workplace. And mm -hmm. I think that connection to, um, you know, how, how it translates into real life is mm -hmm. really important. Yeah. Now, just to, to clarify, um, if I understood this program correctly, you award these students a scholarship, but they, they do not have to use it to come to BV, right? I mean, there is, is there a tie for them to come and, and do anything in exchange? No, there are no strings attached. Right. So we, yes, go, go ahead, Sarah. No, so that was my understanding. And I think that it it, it is a long-term strategy, right? And, um, but it, but it's, it's an unselfish way to increase the awareness of some of the different career paths that might not be um, readily presented, right? And so, you know, we talked at the beginning of, of the conversation about how BV is a brand, um, you know, the the services and and the outcomes of the organization are everywhere but the name might not be known right and so how does that translate to recruiting right if it's a company that that you know potential candidates are saying I, what what's bureau veritas you know um and and that's a similar challenge for a lot of organizations, right? And so I think this idea of how do we do different creative things to invest not only in our own um, 
you know, bench of talent, but in increasing the overall awareness of career opportunities in this space, um, I think is, is a really important, uh, and really smart, smart thing to do. Um, and, and perhaps more impactful because there isn't, uh, you know, a direct payoff necessarily, or a, a selfish interest. It's you're, you're helping, um, you know, young people with, with their career and your increasing awareness. And, you know, those are, those are really good things. So, um, I just think that's a, a really, really cool initiative and, and something else that, that folks could take something from. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, um, you know, you talk about brand recognition, you're absolutely right. BV in Europe is very mm-hmm. well known. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, in North America, much less so. Mm-hmm. And so we tried, uh, or we're not tried, we are um, actively working on our brand recognition throughout, mm-hmm. um, you know, throughout North America, through social media, and um, not not just through our own internal marketing department, but even our talent acquisition team, putting a lot of content out there in social media, videos, and just, you know, commenting and, and putting, you know, being thought leaders in terms of, um, you know, what they put out there. And so trying in every way that we can to heighten the awareness of, uh, of Bureau Veritas and, and through the, as you said, through programs such as STEM. And we're also, you know, very committed to corporate social responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and so putting our name out there as well through programs um, uh, linked to that. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So um, I know we talked about the fact that this is, this is a long game, um, but what would you say about, you know, what you've found from, from these efforts thus far and sort of what you see on, on the horizon? Um, so far, what we're, um, we're, we're seeing a turnaround, as I said, with regards to our talent acquisition and partly because of, um, you know, the, the data that we have, um, Mm -hmm. and the artificial intelligence, um, that, that, that we've invested in. Um, so that is really paying off. Um, in addition, um, for we're, we're making it easier, Sarah, for candidates to engage with us. So we've automated a lot of our processes for, um, for candidates and then new hires. Um, so it's not cumbersome and it's not, you know, very time consuming to, um, to apply to, to once they're hired to go through the process. And so we're trying to make it easier and more user friendly on mm-hmm. the candidate side. Um, and then internally, you know, you talk about growing our own and imagine the, the, the retention hopefully that we will have, right. Um, because we're investing in our people, because we are giving them opportunities, because, you know, we're listening to them to understand what it is that makes them tick and where they want to go in the organization. Mm-hmm. And so we're seeing all of that, uh, beginning to, to bear fruit for us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So I want to do kind of a, a rapid fire of words of wisdom. So some of these I think will be maybe um, summarizing or recapping points we've touched on, um, but we'll we'll just go through. So um, so your advice on on different areas of uh, future of work. So number one is how do we modernize recruiting? So what are what comes to mind as 
you know, advice, first steps to take to, to modernize that process? You know what, I think, and, and this is, you know, pretty selfish because I, because of what we've done at BB, but having the right people in those roles. Mm-hmm. Um, my head of talent acquisition is absolutely amazing. Um, he is a thought leader. He is um, assertive. Um, data analytics have been, has been critical for us. Mm-hmm. Um, being consultative with our clients has been critical and, and, and providing that market intelligence. So mm-hmm. I think that all of those aspects of, of uh, you know, transforming your recruiting function. I think all of that is very, very important. Mm -hmm. And in a few short months that he has been here, we have seen, you know, a change in the tide, not just in improvement in in our our, uh, results, but also improvement in the collaboration with our hiring managers. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so, you know, that is, uh, it's absolutely critical. Mm Okay. Okay. Um, are there new roles, uh, that are, are imperative for folks to be considering for today's landscape? I mean, I think, you know, going back to, to talent, right. And what we just discussed, I think, um, you know, data scientists would Mm -hmm. be really, and, and I, I would love to have like an intern data scientist on my team for a period of time. Right. Um, because, business is driven by data and they make decisions based on data. Mm -hmm. And so the more that we are able to provide that, um, the more credible we will be and, and uh, you know, the better we can make our case. So Mm -hmm. I think analytics uh, in general is really important. Yeah, I agree. Um, Okay. What's your best piece of advice around retention of today's workforce and particularly the younger generation? Um, I think having a sense of purpose. I think the younger generation is really driven by not just the work, but doing good overall. And so I think all of our, for example, our corporate social responsibility um, efforts and programs and what we stand for as a company. I mean, BV as a company stands for, as I said, you know, safety and ethics and, you know, providing that to our customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that sense of purpose, but in addition to that, you know, right now, and, and actually as the pandemic continues to unfold flexibility, mm-hmm. um, flexibility in the way in which they work and where they work, I think is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we are finding more and more that when we're making offers, um, remote work is really important to people, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. having to drive into an office or, you know, not even having to relocate for an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously that is not possible for every position, right? But right. where it is possible, um, you know, companies really ought to consider, uh, offering that to their to their candidates, to their new hires, and even to incumbent employees, because that is a real differentiator between, you know, somebody choosing your company over another. And at mm-hmm. Vera Veritas, we have become, um, you know, quite open and flexible in that regard. Mm-hmm. Okay. What would be um, your number one piece of advice uh, for improving employee engagement and satisfaction? Sarah, there are many, um, there are very many, but I will tell you the one lever that I would pull, um, with regards to that is, you know, assuming that we've got other things, right. That contribute to employee engagement, uh, mm-hmm. and satisfaction or the overall employee experience. But I would say the leaders, 
Mm-hmm. Leader, leaders are the ones that, you know, when, when an employee talks about the company that they work for, mm-hmm. they're really talking about their leader. They're talking about the, the environment and, and, you know, the, the culture, if you will, that that leader is creating for their team. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be very, very positive or very, very negative. And so mm-hmm. I think having, you know, strong leadership, um, strong leaders, that have been trained, that are, you know, have strong EQ, um, that understand how they impact their employees. You know, there's so much that go into it, that goes into it. But I would say that is the number one thing, in my opinion, that helps to drive um, a positive employee experience. I agree. Okay. What is your top prediction around the future of work over the next five years? Oh my goodness. I, I don't know. I don't have a crystal ball, but I do think, <laughs> um, you know, I do think certainly going back to the issue of flexibility. I mean, mm-hmm. if that trend is to continue, um, you know, being flexible in where and how we do work. Um, and you know, that, then that creates, you know, the challenge of uh, measuring work and performance and all of that, but we're facing that today. But, um, you know, I don't know, Sarah, that would be my, my best guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see, uh, to see what happens. And five years is a good chunk of time when you're talking about these types of things. So it sure okay. is. All right, Maggie, last question for today. Um, what is your proudest accomplishment thus far in your time at BB? Well, I, you know, I, I think that uh, we've done so many, um, you know, so many things to, to help improve the employee experience, which is, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, kind of the life's mission of HR, no matter where you are in HR. But I think my proudest achievement has been to assemble a team of HR professionals that really are helping to drive the value that HR can bring Mm -hmm. um, and working very, very closely, very collaboratively with our internal customers um, to really, again, understand their needs mm-hmm. um, and be flexible in the way that we that we deliver our services. Mm-hmm. Um, but I couldn't do it without the strong team that I have behind me. And I think that for me, that is probably the greatest accomplishment. I've got a great team of people. We're all, you know, moving in the same direction, rowing the boat in the same direction. And we've got the same objective that we're all striving for. Yeah, that makes a big difference. Uh, well, thank you so much, Maggie. I um, I was impressed in my research and all that you've accomplished in uh, less than three years' time. Um, and uh, I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing some of your lessons learned and actions taken with our listeners. It's my pleasure, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. You can find more by visiting us at futureoffieldservice.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn and Twitter at the future of FS. The Future of Field Service podcast is published in partnership with IFS. You can learn more at ifs.com. As always, thank you for listening.